trust me, there are days that I go home where you're just completely exhausted. But when you start to think about, I, I go home to, to a warm house and where I can sleep in a, a warm bed and I have a hot meal. And there's so many young people in America that don't have just those basics. So then it just becomes easier. It's just not fair in my opinion. And, and I think we all have a responsibility in trying to make change there. Erin Worsham, Executive Director of the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship at Duke University. And this is Case in Point, a podcast where we explore how social ventures can leap the chasm from idea to impact at scale. Normally at this point in our podcast, I take the time to tell you a little bit about our guest. And that often includes the list of organizations that they've worked for and the zigzags that they've taken throughout their career. But today is a little bit different. Today's guest on Case in Point is Lorraine Orr, the COO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Lorraine has actually spent her entire career, over 30 years, working within the Boys and Girls Clubs movement. She started just down the road from us here at Duke University, working as a college student in the Greensboro, North Carolina summer camps. After graduating from college, she was hired on as staff, then became the CEO of the Greensboro Club at the age of 25, and then continued to work her way up the organization to her current role of COO. Through it all, Lorraine has remained committed to the mission of leveling the playing field for disadvantaged young people in America. And in her role as COO, she helps the Boys and Girls Club network reach 4 million young people every year. 4 million. 4 million young people with the opportunity to reach their full potential. But managing a network like the Boys and Girls Clubs, which includes the national organization, as well as over 1,100 independent 501c3s, who operate over 4,000 local clubs, is quite a complex undertaking. In this episode, we'll hear from Lorraine and how she manages the operations of that network. How Boys and Girls Clubs of America is using data to drive strategic decision-making, including mergers and acquisitions within their network. What the future holds for the Boys and Girls Clubs movement, and what keeps Lorraine up at night. Here's the conversation I had with Lorraine as part of our case executive speaker series. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, how you've grown up within the Boys and Girls Clubs uh, organization and, and what's led you to the position you're in today. Yeah, sure. So uh, in October, it'll be 31 years that I have been with the, the Boys and Girls Club movement. Uh, started as a, a college student. Uh, we're in Greensboro, North Carolina, working summer camps. Uh, uh, the day I finished my last exam, uh, I went by the, the club, had a conversation with the CEO, and I got hired as a part-time athletic director. Uh, my, my major was business, uh, I mean, recreation and leisure services, so it, it fit well at the time. 
uh, and then uh, I've moved through a variety of positions. Uh, in, at the local level, uh, a program director, unit director, uh, and opened actually one of the first clubs in, uh, in public housing in, in, in North Carolina back in the day, and ended up, the last stop there was as the CEO. Uh, I told the group this morning, I, I got named the CEO there on my 25th birthday, which, which changed uh, you know, everything for, for, for me. Um, and then I moved to Boys and Girls Clubs of America in 1997, working as a director, actually providing direct service with all the Boys and Girls Clubs here in, in North Carolina, and moved into a leadership role from there in the Southeast region. Ended up running the Southeast region for a number of years, and then moved into my first senior vice president role in 2007. Uh, and, and led the five regions and, and uh, two and a half years ago or two years ago became the chief operations officer which encompasses all of the services that, that where we provide direct service to local organizations and if you want to think about it in a, uh, an easy way is organizational development, leadership development and youth development. So those uh, three big verticals there are about 16 individual verticals that sit underneath all of those that, that I have the, the pleasure of leading. Mm -hmm. It is so striking to me, given that we do work with a generation of, of students that tend to switch jobs every two to three years on, on average. Uh, and so hearing from somebody that's been in a job for 31 years is, is really striking. I'm curious how you have maintained your resilience along that way. How have you stuck with it so long? Yeah, so, so I, that, that's an easy one for me because um, when I first started, when I first found Boys and Girls Clubs, and, and it may sound corny, but I remember the, the, the two or three days into this summer camp as a, a, a young person, you know, just finishing up college, uh, you know, I, I remember like it was yesterday calling my mom and said, I found what I'm supposed to do. Mm. Uh, and and, and that, was the, that was the end of it. And I knew uh, at that moment there, were, there would really be nothing else that I want to do. But I, I will say now, I've shifted roles a lot, right? I mean, because I do, I do still believe that there, uh, there's a time for everybody, right? And as a leader, you have to recognize when it's time to, to, to move out of roles and, and or move to um, uh, adjust or add more to the role so it still becomes something that that drives you and doesn't because for, for me if it's easy then it's not worth doing right and so so you have to be able to to create this part of your uh, of the organization that I lead that 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 challenges me every single day mm-hmm that's incredible. How do you, uh, you know, I, I heard the collective hmm in the audience when you said, you know, had, had that moment mm -hmm. of, of it all sort of clicking into place. How do you continue to remind yourself of that moment? I'm sure there are days, especially as you said, if you've grown up in the organization where you're in some ways probably less connected to, to the, the field work and, and mm -hmm. those moments. So how do you make, make sure that you're maintaining that? So a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, all you got to do is, uh, you know, watch the news in the morning, right? And, and <laughs> or the, or the ABC app that's on my phone. I mean, and it and it reminds me that there's so much more that needs to be done. And I, I tell my my teams all the time is that there's not many people in America that get to wake up every day and say that they have the opportunity, the opportunity and the responsibility to change the trajectory of America. And, and I believe the Boys and Girls Club movement, Boys and 
and girls clubs collectively have that opportunity. The question is, is what are we going to do about it, right? And and there and, and it is not easy. And uh, trust me, there are days that I go home where you're just completely exhausted. But but when you you, you start to think about. Um, you know, at least I, I go home to, to a warm house and where I, I, I can sleep in a, a warm bed and I have a hot meal, right? And there's so many young people in America that don't have just those basics. So then it just becomes easier, uh, right? Because uh, it's just not fair, in my opinion. And, and I think we, we, we all, regardless of where we, uh, how we, we, we show up in the world or what we do, we all have a responsibility in trying to make change there. And I love just hearing you talk with the passion and uh, impact that comes out of, of everything you say of, of this real, you know, we talked about this earlier, of this real urgency mm-hmm. of the problem and, and the feeling of opportunity and responsibility to do something about it. And I wish that for all of us, that we continue to have that, um, that drive yeah. and, and not forget the urgency of the problems that we are trying to solve. Uh, so it's incredible that you've been able to keep that over the years with Boys and Girls Clubs and really have an incredible impact on the trajectory of the organization. So let's talk more about the organization itself. Sure. Boys and Girls Clubs movement was founded in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. uh, and has certainly evolved significantly since yeah. that time. So I'd love for you to tell us more about the Boys and Girls Clubs structure mm-hmm. and how that's evolved over time. Sure. So as you said, we're a 158-year-old organization. For the first 50 years of existence, the national organization did not exist. In fact, the first 50 organizations that started, uh, uh, they recognized the need to look for consistency in how we operate and how we program for young people. So they actually created Boys and Girls, then Boys Clubs of America, but Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And and that is something I believe is really, really important in, in, in our development because there were one thing that was really core to, to that decision by the, the original 50 is that the, the local voice meant something. So uh, we are a true federated organization, meaning that you know we operate today a little north of 1,100 independent 501c3s. Uh, and those 1,100 organizations operate 4,400 boy, Boys and Girls Club clubhouses across the, 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 the country, or I should say around the globe, uh, because we are, we're not an international organization, but we do operate Boys and Girls Clubs in partnership with the Department of Defense. So in virtually every U.S. military base uh, around the globe, 15 countries, their youth centers are affiliated with Boys and Girls Clubs. So, uh, and those 4,400 clubs, 1,100 organizations serve north of 4.4 million young people every single year. It's incredible to think about managing or, or affiliating with 1,100 independent yeah. 501c3s. Yes. But also the, the power of that network of the, the data and the, the ability to, to innovate and, and have lessons coming from the local context. So talk to me a little bit about data and, and metrics tracking. I know that's something that you've thought a lot about. Yeah. The big piece for us is, uh, I guess, five years ago, six years ago, we built our own, an internal, what we call our National Youth Outcomes Initiative which uh, was a, a, essentially an aggregator, and I'm not a technology person, but essentially 
it allowed us to extract information from every local system. And many of, most of our organizations use one of four uh, data tracking systems. So we were able to aggregate data from that system that really start to tell us a, 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 an amazing story around what we call our club experience. Uh, you know, and it, it is uh, the system or the questions that we ask our, our, our young people are rooted in the CDC's risk behaviors, uh, youth risk behaviors. Um, but what we are able to get from that, and I told the group earlier today, our database is the largest database of in any youth organization in the country today. Uh, and it has given us really, really powerful information that we're able to make decisions on. For, for example, uh, one of the things inside of the uh, National Youth Outcomes Initiative that we, we've learned is that uh, staff practice matters. Uh, in terms of you know uh, uh, staff calling young people by their names, uh, how they uh, activate locally in terms of staff meetings. So it's five or six things that came out of there. But we've been able to change our entire learning development system for our frontline leaders that all ladder up to what we're getting out of this system. So today we are able to project what that means in terms of this club experience for kids. And when we talk about this club experience, yes, it's about them being, feeling emotionally and physically safe, but we also can predict the, the, the percentage in which kids will, will graduate from high school. They're 40% more likely to graduate from high school. They're 30% 30, 30 more likely to avoid risky behaviors. So that data for us is really, really powerful in terms of not only obviously what it means to kids, but what it, it means to how we shift our, um, our, our events, our operating mechanisms to make sure that we are capitalizing on the information that's coming out of there. And it also allows us obviously to make business decisions. And, and when I say business decisions about, well, if, if we need to put four million dollars here uh, to be able to drive more around this data that we know that's working we need to take four million dollars out of somewhere else and we move it and we allows us as a senior team to shift resources very easily because there's the data that sits behind it I'm just lucky that it sits in my portfolio and, and it's easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so powerful, some of the examples you gave of, of relatively quote unquote small things yeah. that through the data are shown to, to ripple into large impacts. Oh, it is, it's amazing. It's and a good reminder for all of us of yeah. just the day-to-day -day things that we can do to be more effective in our jobs that really might have incredible incredible impact in the long term. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, it's really interesting stuff. I'm happy to, to send to you the executive summary or a link so that if anybody wants to, to dig into it, I mean, it's really um, quite powerful. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Um, the other thing that we've talked about in, in addition to the focus on data is is the strategic planning and visioning that you all do and and uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America came out with a uh, great futures 2025 plan which included four priorities which I'll which I'll mention uh, increasing program quality strengthening local organizations advocating for youth development and then finally reaching more youth so within the context of the first two, which are around increasing program quality and strengthening local organizations, um, it's really about consistency and, and quality. Uh, and it leads me to, to want to talk more about something I know you all are doing, which is leading a series of, of mergers and consolidations throughout the, the Boys and Girls Clubs network. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what the impetus was for, for that focus on, on mergers and consolidation and, and how it's going. 
um, when we, we started to talk about program quality, uh, one of the things that, that, that really uh, came to, to light early on is that, you know, when you have an enterprise as vast as we are with these 1,100 individual organizations, there's a lot of variability in there in terms of performance. Uh, and when I talk about performance, I'm talking about, you know, what we call our mission metrics around the number of kids that come, you know, the, the experiences that those kids get when they're there, the revenue that we raise, the talent that we recruit, all of those things, right? And there was some variability in there, you know, and a part of that is because of how we're, not how we're structured, but what we look like when you start to peel back the layers of the onion. So we have organizations at this end of the spectrum that are operating on $200,000, $250,000 a year. At this end of the spectrum, it gets to north to $25 million a year. And then there's everything in between, right? And, and it is deep in the, the, the heart of the Mississippi Delta to the urban centers of Los Angeles. So, so a lot of um, differences in terms of complexities that sit inside of that. So when we started to talk about this program quality thing, it was really around consistency and the rigor around how we deliver programs to kids and then what that means as it relates to the outcomes that we, we, we want for kids. And, and frankly, we make a promise to them when they come into our doors that we're going to give them something and, and when they leave us, they'll be better. And so, so a part of that quality was, all right, let's look at the organization as it is today. And what we know inside of the conversations that we had with the field and our own analysis is that we probably will need to, over time, shrink the number of organizations that we have. And our, our projection is, is that will they will shrink from the 1,100 to somewhere down to you know 700 plus, right? So 300 organizations that probably would go into some other type of operating mechanism. And, and the reason for that was uh, a couple things. One was, yes, the quality thing, but also our data told us is when we bought organizations together in similar markets, the, I mean, literally inside of the first three years, we started to see double-digit growth, mm -hmm. uh, double-digit investment in terms of what investors or funders were putting into the organization. So the first reason for, for that was really, yes, quality, but it was also about impact and outcomes. And the second part of, uh, of that is it, when we looked at it, we had a lot of markets where we were very dense. Um, you know, for example, three years ago before we started this strategy in Los Angeles County, we had 27 separate Boys and Girls Club 501c3s in Los Angeles County alone. And, and essentially, we were putting ourselves out of business. And we really needed to figure out how did we maximize this brand. And it really became one brand, one mission type of deal so that we could you know, maximize who we were. And, and, and I'll be clear to say, um, there, there are no real efficiencies up front in this. I mean, the first year, there's really no efficiencies up front. I mean, yeah, yes, you may be able to eliminate two CEOs, but it still costs you more because generally there's one organization that's undercapitalized. You have to create some equity around compensation, benefits, all of those things. So we, we recognized early on that it was not going to be a cost savings thing, but it was really more so about the impact on kids. So I can go on and on about this, but let me say this. 
It was and still is a challenging uh, initiative for us as an organization, but one that we believe is right because uh, you know the, the data speaks for itself and we've looked at it over a 10 year period and it is spot on in every year in terms of every organization that we've looked at that has gone through this. And last year we closed uh, north of 80 transactions. 10 years prior to that, it was a total of 54. Uh, this year we're on target, there's about 85 in the pipeline this year. Uh, and, and they're not easy conversations, but they're, they're, they're the right conversation as long as we keep the talk track at um, uh, being very consistent about this is about impact. This is about what we deliver to young people. The merger or the acquisition or whatever it may be, yes, it's going to happen, but at the end of the day, this is all about how we deliver services to kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, I love that you know, mission first. Yeah. Um, and also, as we talked about with the power of the data, being able to show that that actually helps grow the impact and, and grow the reach of those organizations, um, at least what you've seen historically. Um, so within that context of mergers and consolidations and, and improving quality, there's also this other strategic objective that you mentioned earlier about uh, reaching more youth and the goal of, of doubling. Tell me, how are, how are you going to do it? So that, that's a great question. Um, uh, and, and Is there an answer? We're, we're thinking about that right now. Uh, no, seriously, I, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. We as an organization in the 80s and 90s, I mean, we, we, we literally doubled then. And that was our fastest growing uh, time as an organization. But uh, what I will say, I'll be the first to say we, we, we went wide, but not very deep. We slowed that process and really started to lean in on impact and, and how do we know what we're providing to kids makes a difference, right? So, so over the last you know nine years or so, we've been really rooted in impact and data and figuring out what it is we need to do to really be able to, to move this organization. Now I will say, you know, we are a very entrepreneurial organization, so we, we, we grow organically every year, right? But the growth spurt that we're going to look uh, look towards is not going to be the the growth of, of the 80s and 90s. Uh, my gut is is that it will have a lot to do with the digital space and what we need to do to connect kids digitally to boys and girls clubs. Uh, you know, actually there's a, a group right now that's really starting to think about, you know, what does the first digital boys and girls club look mm -hmm. like, right? And you think about what's happening in school classrooms across the country, right? And even in the, you know, the, the higher ed space, right? I mean, you know, people don't show up in a classroom. Uh, and and now we, we know that there's some kids that need that because like I am a classroom person. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time learning other other ways when I mean, we know that we're still going to grow our footprint from a clubhouse standpoint. So technology be, will be one. Second, if you look at our organization, um, there's a couple of things that have made us grow in the past. And uh, one thing really is partnership. So uh, the Department of Defense, uh, when we started with that relationship with Desert Storm uh, in uh, Indian country. Uh, uh, Boys and Girls Clubs in Indian country is a separate 501c3 that we operate. But we are the largest service provider of Native American children in, in, in our country today. And that, that was intentional. Uh, started in 1992 at the Suan Big Crow Boys and Girls Club in South Dakota. We aren't at scale yet, but we're working towards that. And the third would be schools. 
uh, and, and mostly public schools in America. If you look at the 4,400 plus boys and girls clubs that we operate today, north of 1,700 of those are in private, public, and parochial schools across the country. But if you start to break that down a little bit further, north of a, uh, 1,100 of those are in elementary schools. But guess what? 90 plus percent of those clubs do not have a feeder location, being a uh, feed the feeder elementary school or a traditional boys and girls club in the neighborhood. So essentially what we're doing is we're, we're losing that group of young people when they lose, leave the fifth or sixth grade. So for me, the other part of this strategy is going to be getting in front of the, the middle school uh, superintendents and, and, and others uh, at the, the American Association of School Administrators to say we believe boys and girls clubs can be a part of this solution and be a partner with you in education so if if we look at partnership we look at technology and then we also look at scaling you know the initial partnerships that we have excellent uh, let me talk a little bit about your your role as a, as a COO mm -hmm. curious what the what's the hardest what are the hardest parts about leading operations of such a large and impactful organization people. <laughs> I tell people all the time, if it weren't for people, this job would be fun. <laughs> 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 uh, um, uh, uh, so really, that, that is the hardest part, and I don't want to make light of it, because talent is, is, is a challenge for, for every organization, but for, it's, it's the same for us, right? It's being able to find competent leaders at every level of the organization, and as uh, you, you can imagine, looking at our, our, the last 15, 20 years at Boys and Girls Clubs of America. I mean, we've been, you know, running at 100, you know, for the last, you know, 15 years, and and pace is hard for people, and and I get that. But the also the organization has changed a lot, and what we had to hire for 15 years ago or 10 years ago, even it's not what not what we need to hire for today, particularly in the youth development space, right? As, it, as more and more work has been done around the high quality youth development work and what that means and the, the competencies that you need to bring into the systems is challenging. Um, so slightly different question, but what, what keeps you up at night? Safety. Uh, keeping kids safe. Uh, it, it, it is our number one priority. It is our bedrock. And, um, and, and you know, when you have facilities where any given day there's close to 600,000 young people in buildings across the, the, the country, people that want to do bad things for, to kids, they find those locations, right? And couple that with vulnerable young people, uh, and, and then it becomes a, 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 a real issue. Um, so so that, that's the one thing that, that keeps me up at night. Uh, and I think you can ask any leader at Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and they would tell you the same. Mm -hmm. So we're seeking partners. Uh, I, I told myself I wasn't going to name drop, but the Redwoods group right there, they're one of our, our big partners uh, uh, on the safety side. And, and it is uh, incredibly challenging when you, you have an organization this size to keep young people safe. It really is. Um, 
and, and coupled with the, the fact that, you know, now there's more uh, child on child uh, types of events that you have to, to that you have to deal with. Um, it, it, it's challenging, mm -hmm. uh, really challenging, but it's something that we take very seriously. And it, and it is the, the one thing in our side of our organization that we have zero tolerance for. Um, you know, my, my teams are empowered uh, on the spot that if they see something that is unsafe, uh, that they, they can make the call right there to say you cannot operate as a Boys and Girls Club today. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I've been on the, the back end of that where I've had to have those conversations, but it, it's something that, that, that you just can't tolerate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me ask a, a couple of, I'd love to end with lightning round questions. Okay. A couple of quick questions with quick answers. What drives you? Mission. Uh, knowing that, that, that there is a problem in America that can be solved. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's not enough of us are leaning in against that. But that's what drives me is that I know that the issues impacting children in America today has a solution. Uh, and we just all hadn't gotten there yet. Mm. How do you define success? Execution and results. Uh, 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 now, I, I say I usually say flawless execution, uh, but but that's what I, I push my teams for is flawless execution. Not not, not to say that mistakes don't happen, because uh, they do. Uh, but uh, uh, execution and results. It's spoken from a, a true COO uh, lens. Right. I love I love the operator in you. It was so it was such a quick answer too. That's why I love lightning round. It's like your true self comes out. Um, so other than people you are related to, who or what inspires you most? My teams, uh, the people that work with me every day. Uh, because, listen, I, I, I would be lying to you if I would say I'm, not, I'm an easy person sometimes. I'm a, I'm a driver, and, and, but, but they show up every day with the same level of, of energy and passion and compassion. I'd love to reflect on your answers throughout this, that people are your biggest challenge, and it sounds like also your biggest joy. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. yeah, which is great. Does that work? It sounds about right, yes. I can't disagree with you. So last question for me. One thing that gives you hope. One thing that gives me hope, um, I would say that um, in, in America today, there are millions of people that really care uh, and, and that know that there, there are things that we need to do different. So, so uh, I have hope in, in God, it's this people thing again, right? But it's hope in people <laughs> um, because we're the only ones that really can make real change happen. Lorraine is a true operator. I loved her answer about flawless execution being her measure of success. And that operations mindset comes in as Lorraine talked about the ways in which boys and girls clubs have really focused on rigorous data collection and analysis. They've created the largest database in any U.S. youth serving organization and now use that data to drive evidence-based programmatic changes as well as strategic decisions, such as driving mergers and acquisitions. And mergers and acquisitions, that's a topic that we don't talk enough about in the social sector. And so it's exciting to hear the Boys and Girls Clubs leading the way with their goal of shrinking from 1,100 affiliates to around 700. Finally, Lorraine's reflections on partnerships, technology, and people being the key drivers for future scale 
will resonate with many across the social impact ecosystem. I'm excited to continue the conversation with Lorraine. So stay tuned for our next episode of Case in Point, where we'll dive in deeper with Lorraine around the idea of operating a complex network like the Boys and Girls Clubs and a deeper dive into the mergers and acquisitions work that they're doing. And don't forget to review and rate Case in Point to help spread the word about these great conversations. See you next time.